you're looking here at preventing cancer. There have been lots of trials about chemo prevention of cancer, and there is some promise in this area. Yours is a very long study. What was the issue that you were tackling here that you wanted to take on? Yes, people with Barrett's esophagus have an excess mortality rate. We know that, in fact, the two or three percent of people patients with Barrett's esophagus die of esophageal cancer but the rest the 97 percent die of other things and they have an excess mortality with these other factors by and large that's related to obesity but can be bronchopneumonia to excess heart attack as well and cancers third or fourth on that list so the task force that was put together by the medical research council in 1999 which I was asked to head was actually to look at that excess mortality in this patient population. Now we've heard about aspirin in gastro intestinal cancer prevention already you're looking also at a proton pump inhibitor can you give me the kind of background data that you had on these two compounds to involve them in such a chemo prevention study Yes, the evidence for aspirin is very long-standing but really kicks off in the late 80s where it shows that aspirin had a chemo-preventative effect for colorectal cancer and it's been shown from cohort and case control studies that uh, from the 70s and 80s, the Physicians Health Study, Women's Health Study, that aspirin probably does have some cancer reduction effect somewhere between about 10 to 25%, so a hazard ratio of 0.9 to 0.75. So that kind of takes care of aspirin. Uh, the proton pump inhibitor, there's very conflicting data in that and there probably is equipoise about the use of protein pump inhibitors. You line up 100 physicians and 50 of them say it's positively a good thing another 50 will say it's positively a bad thing and gives you long term side effects so we wanted to look at protein pump inhibitors which are the mainstay for reducing acid therapy simply because in fact there seemed a very good theoretical rationale to decrease acid and therefore more damage and DNA change. Right, so it's, it's just a question of reducing the, the damage and that you would assume perhaps that reduces the tendency towards malignancy? Yes, if you look at a pathophysiological process, we can't reverse the Barrett's unless you ablate it, and the evidence for that is very weak. So the next best thing is actually to deal with the abnormal physiology, which is to reduce the acid reflux. Could you tell me about the study that you've conducted then? This was A, very long term, and B, had four different parts to it, didn't it? Yes, so the study uh, was first of all conceived in 1999. It took about four or five years to get the study through funding, regulatory oversight, committees and then the first patient was actually randomised in 2008. By that time actually the basic premise and the calculations for the power of the study actually had changed. So we changed a power calculation in 2005-2006 of the study which was 5,000 patients down to approximately half of that simply because in fact we realised the cancer conversion rate was slightly different uh, and we also realised the death rate was probably a lot higher too. What did you do in the study? Uh, So what we did in the study is that we consented patients in a randomised way to one of two interventions. One which was uh, protein pump inhibitors either in a high dose, 40 milligrams BD, or low dose, 20 milligrams uh, once a day, uh, versus aspirin, 300 milligrams, or no aspirin. Did the choice of PPI make a difference, do you think? Um, yes, in some ways we looked at the failure rate of the low-dose PPI arm and we have some data on that and there definitely was some failure so that some people in the lower-dose arm would take higher dose of the PPI and that was with a, a oversight from our trial committee. Mm-hmm. But the vi- vi- by and large most patients who were recruited into the study stayed on their randomised arms. Mm-hmm. 
which PPI did you choose and why? Uh, we used esomeprazole at the time simply because there was some very early data to suggest that esomeprazole was a cleaner drug, less side effects because it was an isomer. Normal protein pump inhibitors are made of two drugs which are isomers, one which is more effective and one which is less effective with side effects. So we used the drug esomeprazole because it was uh, more effective. Uh, it seemed to be better in a higher dose reflux disease. There was a study published by Don Castell in the mid-noughties uh, that showed uh, an effect uh, over and above the market leader at the time in the UK um, of about 15%. And the last thing is esomeprazole seems to have less drug interactions. What came out of the study then? The study showed uh, three things. Number one, that high-dose protein pump inhibitor was more effective at decreasing the mortality of patients with Barrett's esophagus. That was a statistically significant result. Um, secondly, we showed that aspirin in the primary endpoints wasn't significant on its own. However, when we censored for uh, co-use of non-steroidal drugs, which is a protocol violation, uh, then aspirin became significant. So it appears that the effect of non-steroidals with aspirin was a confounding factor, meaning that non-steroidals may very well have had some sort of anti-inflammatory effect along the lines with aspirin. Now, I know some of these numbers are coming out in a more refined form soon, but could you give me some kind of feel for the numbers then in this level of significance and the number needed to treat to do to prevent a cancer? And this is very important. This is a long-term study. We're looking at one snapshot in time, which is approximately 8.9 years, 9 years, and therefore we have no idea what will happen in 5 or 10 years' time. Will the same risk-benefit be the same? But essentially what it boils down to is protein pump inhibitors. The number needed to treat is 1 in 34. For aspirin, it's 1 in 43. Uh, so, you know, you have to treat a lot of patients to get a statistical benefit. So cautiously, what would be your recommendation for preventing uh, Barrett's esophagus-related um, cancer? Uh, three things. Uh, number one, we need to follow up this cohort for longer to make sure that this benefit maintains and perhaps increases and to see also if long-term side effects uh, in serious adverse events increase over time. That's very important. So we're looking at the medium-term use versus the long-term use. What's the optimal dose and what's the optimum duration of therapy? We've got a rough idea of the dose, but we don't have the duration of therapy. That's the first thing. The second aspect is that we have submitted our data to a regulatory authority or the advisory authority in UK which is National Institute for Health and Care Excellence who I also work for part-time and they're the best uh, audience to uh, judiciously adjudicate on this situation and I'd certainly be very happy to take their guidance if they look at this and think it's preliminary and it's not enough to change clinical practice that's good enough for me and I would certainly caution all other countries to do the same and last of all if you're a patient with Barrett's esophagus I would be saying that you should not be self-medicating what we've looked at here is the sweet spot of getting the risk benefit ratio right in a highly selected group of patients who were very tightly controlled and monitored and we looked for adverse events and previous uh, uh, hypersensitivities to aspirin uh, if patients go out and self-medicate you could easily find that that risk balance ra risk benefit ratio changes very quickly the wrong way Nevertheless, these results are very intriguing. Do you think there could be implications for other GI cancers, uh, stomach cancer, for instance? Yes, uh, we're more cautious about stomach cancer simply because there's epidemiological evidence out there saying that when you're on protein pump inhibitors long-term for 15 years or more, there might be an increased risk of gastric cancer. And we have biopsied the stomach in each of these patients, and we haven't found an increased risk, but it's something we have to be very wary of over the next few years.
So obviously it's a watch this space situation. Nevertheless, doctors can glean something from this. What are the bottom line messages coming out of this, do you think? Uh, number one, most importantly, make sure you speak to your patients and tell them why they're doing what they're doing. And I would actually make sure that we actually look at protein pump inhibitors in patients because at the moment it's the recommendation is take the lowest effective dose for your symptoms. I think there needs to be a greater recognition that maybe protein pump inhibitors might be good in other regards. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think you have to screen your patients very carefully to see if they're on aspirin uh, because if patients want to start taking medications such as aspirin, I think it's very important the doctor are very much involved in that decision-making process. Is there a reassuring message about using PPIs, which are indeed extremely widely prescribed? Is this reassuring? In the medium term, but we don't know about the longer term. And if I sound very circumspect about this, is it's the fact that we've had too many people making uh, strong uh, uh, remarks about this whole area. I think what we have to be very careful of is that this is one snapshot in time and we need to follow up this group for another five or ten years and hopefully we can give you an answer.